having two young kids and a, a very demanding job, it's hard to like defend my creativity because it's hard to just turn it on when I actually have two hours between when I dropped off my daughter and when I have to go do this thing. You know, you can't just be like, okay, write a song right now. While knowing that a life in medicine would be the perfect way to meld her science skills with her love of people, Susie Brown wondered how she would ever be able to incorporate her creative side in that life. Find out how it is possible to find different ways to touch people's hearts, both literally and figuratively, and how that can be an outlet for your own emotions on today's Roads Taken with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley. Today I'm here with Susie Brown, and we're going to talk about finding different ways in a lifetime of touching people and facilitating healing. So Susie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I start these conversations each time with the same set of questions, and it's when we were in college, who Mm -hmm. did you think you were? And as we were getting ready to leave, who did you think you would become? I had no idea who I was. And even then, I felt torn between different worlds. I always have sort of had that feeling, even in high school. But in college, I started out as an athlete. Um, I was on the softball team and the development ski team. I was either preseason, in season, or postseason all the time. And I was a member of Kappa Kappa Gamma. I never really considered myself a sorority person, but as you remember, at Dartmouth, it was kind of the only way to meet women, I felt. It was the best way to meet women because the social scene was so male-dominated, and I did make really great friends there, but never felt like that was really my center, and I just continued to feel sort of torn and homeless (laughs) during college until my senior year when I tried out on a total whim for the Rockapellas. I had always been a closet singer and I was in Dana Library. Remember that physics library? Yeah, yeah. Studying for a test the next day. I had been there the entire day and I checked my blitz mail and I saw a blitz that said Rockapellas tryouts today and it was in like 15 minutes. So I left all my books there and I ran over to the hop And I warmed up my voice in a bathroom stall and went over to the Rocks auditions. Yeah, and I made the group. And that was such a game changer for me. I think that was the first time really in my whole life I felt like, oh, these are my people. (laughs) These are my people. It was like a really diverse group of women. And we made music together and we were creative together. and, And that was really my first time really feeling at home, not to take away from how close my friendships were. These are people I still cherish, you know, 25 years later. But in terms of like who I am and where I felt most at home, I think among the Rockapellas was where I felt most at home. Yeah. Of course, I was a biophysical chemistry major and had planned to do pre-med. And even at that time, I was really confused how to rectify those two things. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I I know of that library, but I don't think I set foot in that library. <laughs> but you had always thought med school and that, that was a calling early on. Talk about, like, tell me about that part of you. Yeah. Well, my parents are both doctors and both really happy doctors. So I grew up around a dinner table where my dad would say, oh, Roz, I saw the most interesting case today. And my mom would say, oh, Bobby, I saw the most interesting case today. And they loved their jobs. 
I was always also just good at math and science. It just comes easily to me. And I'm a people person. And so the thought of being able to combine my love of science with helping people, it just seemed like a perfect fit. Yeah. So you did follow that path after I did. Yep. I took two years off between college and med school where I worked in a lab. And actually it was then that I bought my first guitar because singing with the Rockapellas had been such a soul fulfilling activity that I felt desperate to have some way to continue to sing. So after graduation, I bought a guitar and started teaching myself how to play. Oh. Yeah. And I, it was all covers. I would just figure out other people's songs And I had a little green book that I still have where I would write down when I figured out the song, I would write it down. And I just played for myself. Occasionally, I had a four track recorder, which is a super old school way to record multiple instruments to multi-track. And so I did a few recordings with my brother, who's also a great musician. So yeah, and I just continued to do it by myself. And then um, the summer before med school, I had planned on going to, on this international trip through Indonesia and all over the place, but there was a lot of civil unrest, so we had to cancel our trip. And I ended up enrolling in Berkeley College of Music's summer performance camp instead. Wow. So it was me and a bunch of like high school students, but it was just, it was a summer camp basically. And it was just all music, music theory. I was, I think the only Jewish girl in the gospel choir. Uh, they, <laughs> they set us up with a band. I was in heaven. I took voice lessons for the first time. I was in heaven. I mean, to the extent that I had a major existential crisis at the end, I started crying in my last voice lesson, just telling my teacher, Deirdre, that I was just so afraid to lose this feeling that I got when I made music. I just felt like, I don't want to stop doing this. And yet I had never like sung in public besides at Dartmouth, and I had never written a song. I was a really terrible guitar player. There was no real path for me to be a professional musician, and I had gotten into Harvard Medical School. And Deirdre said, you know what, Susie Brown, you're lucky. You're good at more than one thing you know, music is all I have. And, you know, you could be Aretha Franklin and not know where your next paycheck's coming from. And she said, you know what, just go, go be a doctor. You can make time for music later. And so that's what you've done. That's what I did. I mean, I didn't realize the extent to which I really would do it. But at the time I went off to med school. But those first couple of years of med school are like grueling, right? So did you find time to do anything? I mean, the next 10 years were grueling. Yeah, I continued to play guitar when I could. And um, I found some other med students who played guitar much better than I did. And we did some open mics in Boston, you know, maybe three or four times. And I would always perform in the talent shows. The second year show, I sang a stirring rendition of Smooth Obturator. The Obturator <laughs> is a, like a muscle to the tune of Sade's song. <laughs> and I was in the um, a local production of Hair. It was like Harvard School of Public Health, the Harvard Med School, the dental school. A bunch of students got together and put on hair. So I was in that. So so I just, you know, made time when I could. And same in residency. I found some people who also played and we would jam occasionally. I was in a shameless cover band during residency made of other medical medical Mm -hmm. residents and other residents in the Longwood area. And we would perform a couple times a year and give all the money to charity and 
I mean, we got so many people to come because all of our co-residents and med students and everyone came. So we, it was really fun. But I had never written a song. I just, I don't know. I just love to sing. That, yeah. that came later. Yeah. So do talk about your medical practice because it's not like, I guess there are no easy medical routes, but you didn't pick an easy one either. No. I always loved cardiology from the minute we studied it in medical school. That was just what appealed to me the most. So I did a residency in internal medicine and then did a cardiology fellowship. And again, I just always felt torn because I loved it. I love being a doctor. I think it is such a wonderful profession in the sense that you have such a clear sense of purpose and you never have to feel like, I don't even know why I came to work today. I never have once had that feeling. I feel a sense of where I fit in, in my community. And I think sometimes not thinking about yourself is really healthy. You know, when I'm at work, I don't really have time to think about how I'm feeling or what's going on in my life. It's all about everybody else. And that is, I think, a good thing sometimes. After my cardiology fellowship, that was when I had my kind of schizophrenic break (laughs) and decided, or bipolar break, and decided that um, I had started writing songs at the end of my fellowship. And it just was like, I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And I couldn't imagine ever stopping. So I took a part-time job at a small hospital in Philadelphia that was affiliated with Jefferson doing heart failure and what's called VADs or ventricular assist devices. They're a type of advanced therapy for the worst form of heart failure where you put a mechanical pump in the heart and the patient can go home with the pump attached to two batteries and a little computer and people live their lives that way. So anyway, it's a very specialized form of cardiology. Uh, So that's what I was doing. I had this part-time job. I figured I would do it for a little while until, you know, I wanted to get back to my real life, (laughs) which I thought was going to be full-time medicine. And um, that's when I, right after my fellowship, I made my first EP and really was touring a lot in my free time. Just started to try and build my music career. Uh, And then five years later, I got married and my husband and I moved to Nashville kind of for obvious reasons, but I, he's also a musician, right? My husband's a musician, lifelong musician. And I got a job at Vanderbilt, which is a big academic medical center filled with very nice people. It's a strange phenomenon in the South. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There are nice people in the North too, Susie. (laughs) I know, I know. But just in in big academic medical centers, there's a very like edgy vibe that exists down here. It's really nice, but uh, I'm from the Northeast. So So I work, it's a halftime job. So I negotiated working for two weeks and then being off for two weeks. So that's where I've been for almost seven years, two weeks on, two weeks off. And the reason it works is because I'm an advanced heart failure doctor. And so I work with only patients before and after heart transplants and before and after VADs, these heart pumps. And that's universally a group practice. So every patient is taken care of by me and all of my colleagues sort of by the nature of it, these are such complicated patients and there's so much complicated decision-making that that everyone has to know every patient and we make the big decisions together. So the way all of the physician schedules are made is that they're either in the ICU week by week, so you'll be in the ICU for a week or on the regular hospital floor for a week or in the outpatient office for a week. 
And so my schedule's like that and everybody else is, is like that too. So I don't have my own patients. I take care of the group's patients. So if, when I'm not there, someone else is in the office that week and answers the questions. Right. And so then that allows you to have that bipolar or whatever you call yes, it. Yes, bipolar life. Yeah. <laughs> and so how do you spend your other two weeks? I mean, a lot of it these days is getting groceries, cleaning my house, taking care of my kids. There's a lot of just life that I do that I really value. I exercise, like be CEO and general manager of my household, just do that kind of thing. And I really value being able to have time to just, you know, plant my vegetables in the garden and go for a run and take a nap when my kids are at school, Um, just take care of myself a little bit. But then also I write songs I make albums and beautiful videos. Yeah, make videos and um, and it's really a business. Being an independent songwriter, you have to do all your promotion. You have to. I book all my own tours, so that the sort of like office part of being a musician takes up a lot of time. Posting on social media, you know, sending emails out to your mailing list, just trying to you know stay active in Nashville. People write songs together. It's like the unofficial city sport. Everyone's a musician here. Your plumber is probably a killer bass player. No joke. Right. And people write songs together. And um, it's horrifying when you haven't done it before because songwriting is a really vulnerable thing. It can feel like a lot of pressure to just like kind of have an appointment to write a song and have to just sit in a room and be like, okay, well, what are we going to write about nice. and hope that you have some good ideas and don't totally embarrass yourself. But I've gotten really used to that process and have really learned to appreciate that process because having two young kids and a, a very demanding job, it's hard to like defend my creativity because it's hard to just turn it on when I actually have two hours between when I dropped off my daughter and when I have to go do this thing, you know, you can't just be like, okay, write a song right now. You, it's hard to do that. But when you have an appointment with someone and you have to sit down and you create the space and someone else is holding you accountable, it's amazing what's just under the surface. Mm. I tell you, 95% of the time I'm on my way to these co-writes, I'm dreading it. I just, all I want to do is just like do anything else, including empty the dishwasher, you know, because emptying the dishwasher, you can accomplish. Right. It's easy. You can do it and then it's done and you have a sense of accomplishment. But Almost universally, I'm so glad that I did this right. And when you sit down, like, it's just amazing what you can come up with. So especially with as a mom of young kids, I sort of depended on co-writes to really maintain my productivity as an artist. So the pandemic was sort of weird in that, you know, I'm definitely not going to be sitting in a room with someone singing (laughs) anymore. And I got back to writing by myself again. I think I had psyched myself out and felt like, oh, maybe I don't know how to do it anymore. And you know how we're also, I mean, all artists are, I mean, I think everyone is hard on themselves, but artists especially are hard on themselves. Cause it's kind of like, if you, if you come to a block when you're in a room with one or two other people, there are one or two other people to think of the idea that you can't think of, but right. when you're by yourself, it pressures on. But um, I've written a ton of songs since the pandemic started and I'm now recording them into a new album. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm excited and I'm really proud of it in that I got back to writing by myself. It makes me feel more, I don't know, I think I have an imposter syndrome a little bit with being a musician 
because, you know, to be a doctor, you have to go to college and then med school and then residency and fellowship. And you take all these board exams and you end up with like a piece of paper on the wall that says, I am a doctor. But someone else declared it to be so. Yes. Someone else said it was true. But with a musician, like I just make it up, you know, I just make it up. I never had any training to do it. So I feel like a fake. It's just easy to feel like a fake. But so I think like for me, it means a lot that I wrote this album mostly alone. Yeah, I was going to say you're a fake with albums and videos and tours to to show for it. So I don't think that's quite a fake. So when you are drawing inspiration in those quick moments between drop-offs and Mm -hmm. uh, the Mm -hmm. dishwasher and all of that, how much of you and those experiences are going into those songs, particularly now those that that you're writing? I would imagine quite a bit. And does all of you come or just like the pieces that are disassociated from the doctor, Susie? Yeah, I think it's the pieces that I can't express anywhere else. Mm. You know, I don't really write about medicine. A lot of people ask me about that, but I don't really write about that. I write about like the vulnerable things. Though one could say you see vulnerability in your patients all day and maybe you're, yeah. you are kind of learning from from their experiences and, and what it means to be in relationship with them, even if fleetingly, if you if you don't see them on a regular basis. I, I bet they kind of come in and you, you might not recognize it, but I bet they're there. Well, I'm an extremely emotional person and I have a really heavy job. I mean, I'm dealing with life and de- literally life and death. I have to tell people they're dying. I have to tell people's families that their family members dying. And I mean, and I care about these people deeply. I, we develop such strong relationships with our patients and their families because we see them at their most vulnerable times. So it is so hard to, to go through what I go through at work. And I have to be the strong one. I can't, the patient's not going to hug me to make me feel better, you know? I have to be the pillar of strength for the patient and their families and my medical team, the medical students and residents and fellows who look to me. I have to be the strong one. And that's really hard. It's really hard. And honestly, to just even get through, I have to just get really far away from my emotions just to be able to get through and do a good job. A lot of times, especially when I'm in the ICU, I'll come home and my husband asks me how I am. And I'll say, I have no idea. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I have no idea where I am right now. I have no idea. Okay. And, but music allows me to get back to me. Yeah. And you can share all of all of yeah. those feelings that you have. Um, so it doesn't have to also stay bottled up. Which yes. is nice and you know what it's like. As being a mom is very much the same. Moms come last in everything. You know, when we're sick, we still do our job. When we're exhausted, we still do our job. I mean, everyone else's needs always come before our own. So this is a nice place for me to be super narcissistic. <laughs> just like, Yes. And I mean, I wouldn't call it narcissistic, but you in do a healthy write, way. Yeah, in a healthy way. But you do write about that in your songs, which I love so much about, you know, like almost there is like, mm. are you kidding? Like that speaks so much to like, what we all strive for and are we enough and all of this. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's the beauty of, of your work, Susie, is that you really do speak to emotions that everyone, or at least all of us mother um, yeah. with a creative spirit are feeling. Um, so yeah, I, I think you found a great place for that. Thank you. 
Yeah. So when you can get back on the road, I know you're going to get back on the road. And so this is life and you do have kids and I can hear actually in the background music has been happening through our whole thing. That's our Um, home studio is right underneath this room. Sorry for the bleed. No. So they're, (laughs) they're kind of following in the footsteps and, and becoming a Nashvilleian who is musical. Is that part of the plan? I mean, we just, we don't, we don't care what they want to do. I mean, we love music and there's always music in our house and they love music. And if their involvement with music is just loving it, I'm fine with that. I mean, I just feel like it's so hard to find your place in this world and find happiness and contentment. However, they want to find that path. I will fully support. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you have found that for yourself right now. And I I don't know how you do it. The, I do like this two weeks, two weeks. I may be thinking about that for myself, but it doesn't seem like there are enough hours in the day to do all the things that you do. There aren't. I mean, there aren't. So I'm always feeling like I'm not doing a good job at something. And I really am not doing a good job at something all the time because it, it's true. You have so many things on your list of things to do. You can't do an A job at everything. There's just, there aren't enough hours in the day. So I'm constantly having to prioritize what am I going to do an A job on today and what's going to be a B minus? Something has to be a B minus. And that's, it's hard to swallow for us type A people um, that some things have to go and you have just certain different things have to be prioritized at different times. But that's how I do it. I have to constantly be prioritizing what's most, what's most important right now, knowing that those, that order may change at a different time or may need to change. Yeah. Well, regardless of how you get it done, we are so glad that you are doing it all um, because I think you're making the world a better place. And Thank um, you. And we love hearing your music. So keep doing that and letting it fill your soul. It looks good on you. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was Susie Brown, an advanced heart failure, heart transplant cardiologist at Vanderbilt University Medical Center and a singer-songwriter with multiple albums to her name, including her latest, Under the Surface. She lives in Nashville with musician husband Scott Sachs and their two daughters. Find Susie, spelled S-U-Z-I-E, and her music at suziebrownsongs.com. And find another complex classmate with me, Leslie Jennings Rowley, at roadstakenshow.com or on the next episode of Roads Taken.